everyone, welcome to the Austin and Steve Experiment. I'm your host, Steve Sales. We're back. I think it's been two weeks since our last one. I, I don't really remember, but I was going to do one on Monday, but I was on a ski trip in Canada with some of my friends, and we ended up getting back pretty late Monday night, so I didn't really have any time, but as luck would have it, we had a snow day today, so I figured I'd pump one out. Um, I'm going to talk about the conference championship games. I might talk a little bit about the Super Bowl. I kind of want to get more in depth of that with Austin later next week, but we'll see how that goes. And then I think I'll talk a little bit about some of the coaches that have been hired since the last episode too, because I think there's been three or four of those that I didn't really get an opportunity to share my thoughts on. So we're going to get right back to that. Okay, so we're going to start with the uh, Ram-Saints game. And... We're going to get to the call a little bit later, but I, I do have some thoughts about that. But I, I wanted to talk about the game a little bit on its own, regardless of the call. Because if you take the call out of the game, this game was still really awesome. And I think if you if the call didn't happen, this would probably go down as one of the better conference championship games we've ever had, frankly. It was a really awesome game, start to finish. Or not start to finish, I guess. The, the first quarter was pretty rough. But I didn't get to watch a ton of the first half. I think I when I started watching, they were up, the Saints were up 13-3. Um, obviously everything just kind of started off really badly for the Rams. Jared Goff looked scared as I kind of thought he was going to, because I mean, New Orleans was so loud. There were ceiling tiles falling off in the hallways of the Superdome. That, that place gets pretty loud. It was going to be hard for a rookie to overcome something like that in his first conference championship game that he's ever played in. Um, but as we kind of saw the Saints offense really just slowed down a lot by the end of the game. I mean, Alvin Kamara was shredding the Rams through the air. But for the most part, it was um, it was tough sledding for them by the end of it. Michael Thomas did nothing. And I didn't watch a ton of the game to notice if it was just Marcus Peters on Michael Thomas or if there was some Aqib Tlaib in there. But regardless, the secondary did a really good job for the most part of keeping the Saints shut down through the air, other than obviously that one big pass to Ted Ginn at the end. Um, and the, the Rams continue to just dominate everybody up front. The offensive line has done a pretty good job making some holes for C.J. Anderson, and which was weird because Todd Gurley's the highest-paid running back in football, the highest-paid running back ever, and he was benched for C.J. Anderson, which I don't totally understand, and I hope that he was hurt and he wasn't just being benched because if not, that is a really bad look for... It, that would be a bad look for anybody, but especially the best running back in the league and the highest paid running back ever, and you're benching him, which, again, goes to show you the whole running backs are the most replaceable players in football thing and why you shouldn't spend that much money on a running back. But that's that's an argument for another day. But anyways, the offensive line was really good. C.J. Anderson was making some tough runs. The defensive line is really what's been most impressive about them because Aaron Donald has obviously been fantastic all year, but the rest of their defensive line has really struggled to uh, stop the run game. They've mostly just been looking at the passing game and trying to get after the quarterback. But I think Dante Fowler looked really comfortable today, and, and Dominican Sue finally looked like he cared for once. Other than just trying to get to the quarterback, he was actually just like being a dominant force in the run game, taking up space like he normally does and like he should. So they're going to be a, a real force to be reckoned with here uh, in the Super Bowl, and it's going to be a nice challenge to see the Patriots' offensive line go up against the Rams' defensive line. <clears throat> and I said Goff started out pretty rough, but by the end of it, Goff was money. He was throwing the ball all over the place. That throw to Brandon Cooks at the end of the first half was gorgeous. I, I yelled out loud when I saw that throw because it was such an awesome throw. Um, and then by the end of the game, obviously, like they ended up kicking field goals at the end of both of the, their drives in overtime and the fourth quarter. 
but he got them where they needed to get, and he didn't look too rattled by the end of it, and it was a lot of really positive stuff from Jared Goff, and I doubted him, frankly. I mean, he's played in three playoff games at this point, and his first two, he was just bad, so I really wasn't sure what to expect from him coming in, but he pleasantly surprised me. So I think the Rams are going to be they're going to be a good a, a good fight in the Super Bowl. I don't know if they necessarily have enough to beat the Patriots, but I mean, we'll see how it goes. Now, about the call, we do have to get to the call. That missed PI on Nikel Roby Coleman was really 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 bad. <coughs> it was it sucks because that game was so much fun. It was so much fun to watch and it really just kind of takes away from that game. People are going to say that the Rams don't deserve to be in the Super Bowl and that like the Saints got robbed and everything and they did. But I mean the Saints the Saints had a ton of opportunities to put the Rams away and they they just didn't. They kicked the field goal, they could have stopped the Rams. They had the ball first in overtime, they could have scored then. They had tons of opportunities to put this game away and in the end they just couldn't. So it's tough to say that the game came down to that call, but in the end obviously you can't deny it was a really important call. And it's going to be interesting to see what the league does from here because I think after that game, you have to, at the very least, make called pass interference flags reviewable. And, I mean, the CFL's been doing this for, I think, two years now, and it's worked pretty well for them. So you just have the, uh, maybe not Al Riveron, but somebody in a booth who's looking at these pass interference calls when they're called and seeing if they're legit or not. The the problem, however, be, uh, comes from if you want to do non-calls or not, because if you want someone to review a pass interference that wasn't called, that might break up the game flow a little bit more than people would like. Obviously, you can just take out some of these TV timeouts, and it'll make things run about as smoothly as they are, but it's it's a slippery slope, because once you start reviewing pass interference, what if you have to review holdings and stuff like that? It just snowballs into this thing that maybe nobody actually wants, so... It's gonna. I'll be curious to see what they do. I th- I think really the most they're gonna do is just review called pass interference flags, and I don't think they're gonna do anything else just because the league generally tries to. Avoid. Pats Chiefs, what a game this was! I was um I was watching this at my friend's house up in Canada, and the the whole time in the second half, I just I kept telling myself like they're gonna lose, they're gonna lose, they're gonna lose, because. Once that, that Andy Reid offense gets going with Mahomes, it's it's like a buzzsaw. Like you just you just know they're unstoppable. So I'm I'm getting a little ahead of myself. I should probably I'm gonna start in the, the first half. So the Patriots did a really nice job of <clears throat> in their the first game what they were doing was they had everybody up at the line of scrimmage. This is week six. They had everybody up at the line of scrimmage and they were kind of confusing Patrick Mahomes with him not being able to decipher who was going to cover who and who was going to step into coverage. And they were also bringing that extra pressure just to knock him off a little bit. And you saw some of that in the first half, too. I think there was there was at least one wide-open wheel route to Damian Williams. There might have been another one where they got just enough pressure on him where he was going to be off on those throws, and they saved 14 points because of that. Um, and the Patriots' offensive game plan was really, really nice. They just pounded Sony Michelle and their... Uh, stable of running backs into the ground just to make sure that Patrick Mahomes never saw the field. And I mean, that's what you have to do with these great offenses is you just have to tire up this defense enough where they can't stay off the field. And then you don't have to deal with that offense at all. The problem with the chiefs offense though, is they're so explosive. It doesn't matter if you keep them off the field. I mean, the Patriots were up 14, nothing. And then the first drive of the second half, the Chiefs scored in three plays. I think it might've been two. They scored in two plays. Like, they're, they're just so dangerous to score from any level of the field, it really doesn't even matter. And like I said, once the Chiefs really got going, 
it didn't matter because they just started exposing the Patriots linebackers in coverage and Damian Williams just torched them. And they were just, they were unstoppable. If they had gotten the, the toss in, if they had gotten the coin toss in overtime, they would have won, plain and simple. Um, but in the end, it really didn't matter because Brady is Brady and he continues to defy any expectations one would have for a 42-year-old quarterback. Although, if you watch the game, Romo, you saw was just making all these accurate predictions and everything, and it was it was crazy just to see Brady would, he motioned Edelman into these stack formations, which Belichick was kind of breaking down yesterday. He would have Edelman motion into these stack formations, and the Chiefs guys just couldn't handle this, and Edelman would just get wide open in the middle, and Brady would find him every single time. And then, obviously, Gronk had a few nice plays, too, that 25-yarder down the, down the left sideline to get in, them in position to take the lead uh, at the end of the fourth quarter it was vintage Brady and vintage Gronk. And that's part of the reason Gronk looks healthy now, relatively, for this year at the very least. And I think that's going to be one of the bigger problems the Rams are going to have is the Chiefs, at least, they have the, the shell of Eric Berry to like at least kind of guard Gronk, but the Rams don't have anybody to guard Gronk. And if he is able to make the catches that he made on Sunday, then the Rams are going to have some trouble. Um, I don't really want to talk about the officiating too much with the um, Patriots Chiefs just because there were there were bad calls either way. The the pass interference, or the roughing the passer call on Brady was pretty weak. I agree that they probably should not have called that. But at the same time, uh, Gronk was getting manhandled literally every snap like he always was, and there wasn't any pass interference called. The 40-yard play to Sammy Watkins that set up the go-ahead touchdown for the Chiefs was a pick play five yards down the field, and they just inexplicably didn't call that. And there were there were a few other like ticky-tack holding calls on both sides of the ball, and I, I just don't think that in the end any of those really made a significant difference because in a 37-31 game, anyways, nobody was really getting stopped in the first place. So, And in, in the end, in overtime, it just showed like that defense is just it's not very good, and like the Patriots defense wasn't great in the second half, but I think that was more just because the Chiefs offense was unstoppable and the Chiefs defense really showed they just they couldn't get off the field. I mean, you give up three third and tens, you're going to lose a game. That's just how that works. And I'm I'm gonna talk about the overtime rule for a little bit here too, because I've seen a lot of people complaining about how, oh, Mahomes should have been able to touch the ball, blah, blah, blah. And people want to make it more like the college system. But I have kind of a problem with that, just because there's um, statistically you're more likely to win um, in the college uh, the college playoffs depending on the coin toss than you are in the NFL overtime. Uh, the win rate for teams that win the coin toss in the NFL overtime is fifty two percent, and if you win the coin toss in the college uh, overtime system, it's a fifty six percent win probability, because when you both touch the ball, you know if you only have to kick a field goal or a touchdown, whereas the, uh, the NFL overtime kind of takes some of that away. So, I mean, while it sucks that, um, while it sucks that Patrick Mahomes didn't get to touch the ball, I, I think it's something that we just have to live with every now and then because people don't always score on the first drive in overtime. I mean, the Ram, the Saints won the coin toss and had the ball first, and they didn't win the game. So, I mean, it, it's going to happen sometimes. I think people are really more freaking out just because this is the second time in three years that the Patriots have benefited from this, and People just like to hate on the Patriots like that sometimes. But, you know, that's that's the world we live in. So I'm really excited for this Patriots-Rams Super Bowl. Like, obviously, it should probably be Patriots-Saints, but I think the Rams are still a really good team, and it's not like the Patriots are going to walk over either of those two teams. So it's going to be really interesting because the the strengths match up in a really interesting way because if 
the Rams defense, the defensive line continues to play like it has these last two weeks. The Patriots are going to have a real problem on their hands, but at the same time, the Patriots offensive line has just been absolutely dominant for the last month that they've played. Michelle has been running over everybody. Brady hasn't gotten sacked, I don't think, since week 15 or something. He's barely gotten pressured the last two weeks either against the Chiefs defense that led the league in sacks and against arguably the premier pass rush duo of Joey Bosa and Melvin Ingram. So I'm really going to be fascinated into how that turns out. And whoever wins that out, that's probably going to be the key to the game is which one of those two lines can overcome the other. So I'm... I'm actually I'm gonna I'm gonna hold off on the Super Bowl and probably save that for next week. So I'm gonna flip over to some of the coaches really quickly. Okay, so I'm gonna talk about three head coaches, not quickly, but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna spend a ton of time on them just because they've been out there for a while, so people are kinda they've kind of accepted this and thought about them for a little while, but uh, I'm going to kind of tie two of them together. I'm going to talk about Cliff Kingsbury and Brian Flores. Um, Flores, I think, is a little bit of an interesting hire because the the defense clearly has had a, a much-needed turnaround from last year with Matt Patricia, and he, he's definitely brought an aggression to the defense that I think would be well-suited for Miami. I always question guys who are willing to bring in a coordinator into a head coaching job when they've really only done that for one year because a lot of the times you're going to get situations like uh, Vance Joseph where he was a defense coordinator for one year and then he showed up in Denver and he really wasn't all that great. Now, the difference between those two is that Vance Joseph's defense, the one year he was coaching it, wasn't good. And the one year that Brian Flores has done it, he's been it's, it's been pretty solid. They haven't been the best defense in the world, but they have a lot of secondary talent to work with and they've been leading the the league and pressure percentage, I think, or maybe they were third. I don't recall exactly the percentage number there, but I think he, he provides a much needed uh, shot in the arm, a boost of adrenaline that a lot of teams will have. I think he could have a, a Mike Vrabel like impact on the dolphins, kind of give them a, a little fire that they've kind of been lacking for a little while. We'll see. I don't know if he's really going to have any control over like who he has on the roster or anything. He probably won't as a first time head coach, but they have some pieces they can work with there. I don't think Miami's really going to be, all that great next year, but we'll see what he can do down there. <clears throat> Cliff Kingsbury is going to be really interesting because the Pac-12, some of his numbers, or the Big 12, sorry, some of his offensive numbers might be a little inflated because now we understand how godly Patrick Mahomes is, and obviously a lot of the teams score points in the Big 12, and that's mostly just because the defense is really, really bad. But at the same time, you also have to consider the possibility that Mahomes wouldn't be who Mahomes is without Cliff Kingsbury. So, I don't know. I think people give him some unfair criticism because they talk about how bad Texas Tech's defense was and everything. But at the same time, like, he's not going to have to do that at the, the pro level anymore. Like, obviously, like, he's going to want to look at the defense a little bit, but he can hire a defensive coordinator. I mean, Sean McVay just handed it to Wade Phillips and was like, here you go, like, I trust you to take care of this. And he's not the one signing everybody. He's not recruiting people anymore. So I think that the two biggest knocks on the Cliff Kingsbury hire were things that really aren't in, in his control anymore. I'm kind of excited to see if he can do some stuff with Josh Rosen because I love Josh Rosen. I always had him and Lamar Jackson as my 1A, 1Bs of this year's quarterback class. And it'll be. I, I really hope that he can take better use of David Johnson and hopefully elevate Josh Rosen to a level that I think Josh Rosen can get to. So... 
I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic about these two guys. I don't think, especially in their first year, I don't think they're really going to be able to do too much due to just the, the talent and the situation surrounding them. But I think over the next few years, they could both be pretty successful. Um, and the, the hire that I absolutely loved is Vic Fangio for the Denver Broncos. I love Vic Fangio. I mean, the, the Bears' defense has been really good for the last few years, and then obviously once Khalil Mack comes in and he has that elite-level talent that he can play with, he just... Vic Fangio just wrecked everybody. It was it was like the equivalent of just dunking on offenses all year. It was awesome. Um, and I, I think he's going to kind of bring the Broncos back to that. I mean, obviously the last three years, or the last, like 2015, 2016, was built on a really, really stout defense that got let down by its offense. And once the defense started to slip, the team just kind of fell into nothingness. So I, I would like to think that Vic Fangio can – bring the defense back to not the dominant level that it was at, but I think they can bring it to a, certainly an above-average level. And part of the other the other reason that I like this hire so much is he got Mike Munchak, the offensive line coach of the Pittsburgh Steelers, to come with him. Because another thing that's the, the biggest issue that the Broncos have had outside of having Trevor Simeon and uh, Paxton Lynch as quarterbacks for any extended period of time was their offensive line really wasn't that good. And Case Keenum, it, when he was with the Vikings, he thrived under pressure, but it was obviously a, a little too much to overcome in Denver. So I think Mike Munchak is immediately going to pan out, and he's going to help make Case Keenum a little more comfortable and get the run game going even more than it did this year with Philip Lindsay. So I think that uh, the Broncos, with Gary Kubiak not coming in as offensive coordinator like everyone thought he would, I'm not as high on them as I was when they first hired all these guys. But I do think that Vic Fangio and Mike Munchak are going to be able to make these the Broncos a lot better than people would have expected otherwise. I'm going to do one last thing here. I'm going to I'm going to do my NBA All-Star starters. I haven't really done anything with the NBA for a while, just because in the middle of the season when football is going on and all, a lot of the games are on later later at night, I really just I just don't have a ton of time as a student. Like when I'm not getting paid to watch basketball and talk about it all the time, I I just don't have enough time and. Uh, in my schedule to, to get it done. So, I mean, I, I, the NBA stuff will pick up, obviously, once we get Austin more involved again and everything. It's going to – we'll talk about it more. But um, I, at least for now, I want to fit in my, my NBA All-Star starters. I'll get, I'll get into all of the All-Stars next time I do an episode with Austin, but I figure just to add a, a little variety to the show. You know, it's really been more of an NFL show. So I'm going to start with the West. For the most part um, – the, the no-brainers I'm really not going to talk about too much just because there's not much left to be said. Like, the Steph and Harden are locked into the two guard, spa, guard spots in the West, and it's really not close. Obviously, Steph's been shooting the lights out, and Harden has been doing something I don't think I've ever seen or probably will ever see again with just absolutely backpacking this team back into relevancy and competitiveness. Um So the the last the three front court spots are kind of interesting, though, just because there's a lot of different people there's, uh, I've, I've seen a bunch of stuff. Zach Lowe's really talking about how there's five spots for, or there's five players for three spots, but I think it's a little less competitive than that. I'm discounting LeBron as an all-star starter just because he's missed so many games already. And I just, I think that other people need to be rewarded for playing more games and playing really well. Now, LeBron is going to be an all-star starter. Like it's not going to matter what some idiot who gets 40 listens on his podcast says, but if I was making the all-star teams, I, I wouldn't have LeBron as a starter. So I would put in Kevin Durant and Paul George then as my wings just because Kevin Durant is averaging quite possibly the quietest 28 points a game anyone's ever had. 
I think people are just like, obviously there's a ton of excitement about Boogie and everything. And I think a lot of people are just tired of the Warriors and everything. So, so they just don't want to talk about Kevin Durant and how efficiently he's been playing lately. And Paul George has been out of his mind and he's kind of had to be because Westbrook really just scoring wise, he just hasn't been there for much of the season and he's been awesome. I think he's probably the front runner for defensive player of the year right now. And he's their best three-point shooter, too. He's really been doing everything that the Thunder have needed him to do and more. So it's been a really fun season to watch Paul George play, and I can't wait to watch him down the stretch here. And then this the, the last front court spot for me came down to Anthony Davis and Nikola Jokic because they've both been awesome, and I, I don't get to watch a ton of Nuggets games because they're on later at night, but the stuff I've watched is just it's a ton of fun with Jokic just spreading everybody out you know, and just making all these crazy passes. It's been a ton of fun. Um, I'm going to put Davis over him though, just because Davis has been a mon- he's been a monster himself. Obviously the scoring, the rebounding are about comparable this year between the two of them, but the def- the defense has been, it- it's the deciding factor for me. I mean, Jokic, Jokic has been better this year, but I mean, he's still had moments where I think people just kind of overrate the improvement a little bit. And Davis has obviously just been a monster all the time on defense. So that that's going to be the deciding factor. So my starting five in the West is Steph. Harden, KD, Anthony Davis, and Paul George. And for the East, I don't really have a ton to talk about just because four out of the five starters in the East are no-brainers. Everybody will have Kyrie, Kawhi, Giannis, and Embiid down as their their starters in the East. Like, that's just, everybody's going to do that. I mean, Kyrie has been consistently excellent this year, even if he's had all the drama and everything that hasn't really impacted his play all that much. Kawhi Leonard has missed a decent amount of games, and they've been good when he's been out. But when he's played, he's been awesome, and he's slowly getting better and more confident in himself, and you can see him just kind of growing offensively in a way that should terrify everybody else. Giannis is my pick for MVP right now. The dude's been out of his mind, even without any semblance of a, uh, a three-point shot. And I think he's, I just read something, he's currently, I think he has 70 unassisted dunks, and second in the league is Simmons with like 30. So he's really creating a lot of his shots for himself too. Like he's been, he's absolutely thriving in the bud system and it's been a ton of fun to watch him and Embiid also a no brainer. I mean, he's regardless of the fact that he's my favorite player, he's just been dominating everybody left and right. And I don't really see why that's going to change at this point. So I have those four and then the starting, the, the last spot in the, the backcourt for the East was kind of tricky. I had it between Bradley Beal Kemba Walker and Ben Simmons. And the first one I crossed off was Kemba Walker just because ever since he'd sprained his ankle, he's been, he really hasn't been the same. He's been a little bit slower and he just, he hasn't put up as much numbers. So as awesome as the, his start to the season was, I just can't, I can't reward him for the, the last few weeks he's been having. And so with, with Simmons, obviously he's a much better defender than Bradley Beal and he's one of the best passers in the league already, and all the stuff he does is awesome. Like, if you take away the jump shot, everything else he does is awesome, and it contributes a lot to the team, and it's it's really cool to watch him do all this stuff without a jump shot. But at the same time, offensively, he's still, he's still limited, and Bradley Beal has been awesome offensively. He's been carrying this Wizards team without John Wall, and frankly, I think they've been better when John Wall hasn't played. And I just think that the last few weeks he's been having, he's been on a torrid pace, and I think that's enough to vault him over Ben Simmons for me. So my starting East All-Star team is going to be Kyrie, Bradley Beal, Kawhi, Giannis, and Embiid. So 
I'm going to do the the reserves and everything and get Austin starters next time Austin and I can get together. Um, yeah, so I'm going to take another quick break and then I'm going to wrap things up. All right, that's all I have for you guys. So like I said, next week I'm going to do Super Bowl preview and hopefully we can get Austin back on and we can do all of our NBA All-Star stuff and everything and uh, after that, we're really gonna we're gonna reload. We're probably gonna shift focus more to basketball because obviously football is gonna be over and everything, and it's gonna be a lot of fun. I'm really looking forward to the Super Bowl, and I think we're gonna have a, a nice next few months of basketball here. So I'm really looking forward to a lot of the stuff we're gonna be able to tackle here. So thanks for listening and uh, tune in next week, guys.